This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today... But it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now. Go. From BBC Science Focus, this is Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Daniel Bennett, the magazine's editor, and today we're talking about hyenas and their tense relationship with the human world. I'm joined by Adam Hart, a zoologist and broadcaster who presents Tooth and Claw, a BBC World Service Discovery series that examines our preconceived ideas about nature's most fearsome predators and how we live with animals that can and occasionally do eat us. You can catch the show live or find it on BBC Sounds now. Hyenas, traditionally speaking, I think culturally in the West, we see them as kind of cackling, perhaps cruel scavengers. Is that is that is that the correct kind of perspective on them? Well, it kind of is and it isn't. So it depends what we're talking about when we think about hyenas. So normally when we're thinking about hyenas, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe speaking for people here, but my guess is most people are thinking of the kind of hyena that you would see in, in The Lion King, for example. Yeah, 100%. Which is that's what I <laughs> Spotted hyenas. That's, yeah, I mean, that's what most people are thinking of. There are a few, a few other species. So there's the brown hyena, which is sometimes called the strand wolf, um, which lives down in sort of, sort of southern Africa, a really beautiful looking creature. There's the striped hyena, which has a really large range, actually goes across into Asia and, and India. Um, there's a, a creature called the ard wolf, which um, eats termites. So is, is, is a member of the hyenas, but, but very much not uh, <laughs> not like the others. Quite, quite a small creature, but the spotted hyena, which is just sort of archetypal hyena. The one that people are thinking of from Disney. That's um, the they do scavenge. One. Yeah, I mean, they do scavenge. They're really effective scavengers and they're wonderful carcass breakers. So they get in there and tear stuff up and crush bones and things. But actually, in, in quite a few parts of their range, they are very, very effective predators. And in some parts of their range, they're almost exclusively predators. In fact, when lion sort of researchers have been observing 
these things and 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 so on. It's very common to see lions actually taking prey from hyenas. So hyenas will be sitting in the background and everyone thinks they're waiting to scavenge. Well, actually, they've been chased off their own kill by uh, by larger animals. So yeah, they're, they're much more predatory than people think, particularly in some parts of their range. They seem to be an animal that every zoologist I've ever spoken to has a kind of a really... Uh, really you know they, they really admire the hyena or they find them particularly fascinating what, what what is so special about the hyena i think i think you know part of it is because people don't like them very much so there's this there's this often a sense of kind of you know standing up for the underdog um which you know in hyena's case is actually incorrect because they're more closely related to cats weirdly than than to dogs and not particularly closely related to either but yeah i think there's a there's a little bit of that you know it's the reason why i stand up for wasps and stuff you know there's a sense of like well there's a bit more to it than that but of course with hyenas you've got this really weird thing going on where the females have a pseudo penis for example which they give birth through they can form these really big social groups um, these big clans that can be up to sort of 150 and they've got all complex kind of things going on yeah they've got this whole scavenging thing going on which is really interesting and, and again it's the sort of underdog of ecology right it, they want, you know, everyone thinks about predators as being the cool thing but of course with hyenas you've also got the fact they're predators as well so it's kind of they, they tick a lot of boxes i think if you're a zoologist and you, you know, they they do some weird stuff. They're the underdog, and, and they do these kind of strange ecological things. So I think, yeah, you're right. I've I've never come across a biologist that that, that will bad mouth hyenas. And, and actually, in, in the in the show uh, in Tooth and Claw, one of the um, the great scientists that you interviewed, uh, she she put it quite well. I think how did she say? It? She said that there's, there's so many opposites in them compared to the rest of the animal, animal kingdom. Yeah, they're, they're they're sort of these contradictory creatures, and 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 actually, if you describe them. You, you start to describe something that's kind of ugly and then you look at it and they sort of are in a way but they're also not and, and it's this kind of there is a tension with hyenas that I think is quite interesting and, and you know they are and also they you know they're kind of scary too you see a hyena yawning you you really you really start to get an, an idea of just how powerful those jaws are I remember watching a, a brown hyena which had gorgeous looking things and it, it suddenly yawned and it was like looking into this we were sort of on a truck. It was kind of behind a fence, and it massive, massive mouth suddenly opened, and we're looking at this teeth. And I was there with a group of students, and we're all kind of going, "Oh, cool, it's a brown hyena." And then it yawned, and there was just silence <laughs> as everyone sort of inwardly digested just how fearsome these kind of jaws were and stuff. So yeah, they are. There's something about them, I think, that draws people. So you, you touched on it there. So they, they, you know, they're not cats. They're not dogs what, what what is a hyena and what was it related to they're actually related so this is this is where things get a bit strange so there's a, a little group of mammals the, the genets the civets there's a fossa that lives in madagascar that form a little sort of uh, group of mammals and, and actually they're the hyenas are a kind of uh, offshoot of them they're they're most closely related to the the civets the african civet um, and you can see that weirdly in the aardwolf which is which is the sort of uh, the fourth hyena that people forget about the one that eats termites which is quite small. It has a civet kind of looking build about it. You, you lose that kind of uh, impression once you get into the sort of uh, the, the spotted hyena, but that, that's where they, they're from. And, and at one point, the hyenas were much more diverse than they are now. They've been around for about 20 million years or so. And we, we, you know, we've lost a few along the way. They, they divide, they sort of, branched off into two groups there's a sort of bone crushing groups and, and these these other groups and you know they had the, quite a bit of diversity and now we're sort of willowed back to back to the fore but yeah in, in the in the, the past uh, there were hyenas the size of lions and particularly fearsome um, extinct hyena which um i've got i've got to be got to be honest with you would be an impressive thing to see but you'd want to see it from the safety of a vehicle i think <laughs> um but but yeah there would have been that would have been quite something so yeah we, we, we have a we have a, a sort of 
a depauper at hyena fauna these days compared to what we had, but but still four four good looking species that we can have a look at. I'm going to say something really stupid now. I think um, <laughs> I think at all similar to some of the creatures like badgers that we have in the UK. Is that a complete myth? They're kind of. They're not. It's tricky with mammals because they all kind of break off into sort of different kind of groups. But so they're not. They're not in the same group. But equally, they're 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 within the sign of carnivora, and they're, they're within a group of carnivores called the Feliformes. So they are more closely related to cats than they are to dogs, despite their appearance. I mean, some of them, like so, the the, the brown hyena, I say, is quite dog-like. The, the spotted hyena, when you look at it, is kind of. It's a weird thing, isn't it? You look at you look at hyena, and yeah, okay, it's kind of a little bit dog-like. But once you start looking at them, you think, no, that's actually just that's hyena-like. <laughs> you know, they, they, they are out on their own. So, yeah, they're, they're, but but they have a. I mean, when you see a group of them moving moving through the landscape, right, and they're looking to take something down or whatever, they've got this social structure going on, and they're communicating with each other. There is a very canine aspect to them, but yeah, they're actually they're actually in this feliformes group, the, the group that's more closely related to cats. Yeah, that's something completely new on me. Thank you for that. And so the the most iconic thing about that hyena is is obviously going to be well either it's spots or it's it's laugh. What, what is what what's the deal with that laugh? It's not just um you know soulless cackling. No, it's it's basically as a kind of form of communication. So they are a social organism. They they spend a lot of time in groups. Um, and to keep those groups coherent and together, they have lots of communication going on, and a lot of that is uh, some of it's visual, and you know they use pheromones and so on, and, and sort of smells and, and urine patches and all sorts of other bits and pieces. But some of it's auditory, and, and what we sort of associate as the kind of the laugh of the hyena, the cackle of the hyena, is 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 that communication. They can they can use it for all sorts of stuff: excitement, fear. So it's not just sort of I'm over here. Um, they can be communicating things about their sort of internal state as well, um, and it helps to bind those groups together and to, and to coordinate them in a way that allows them to to get sort of stuck into some of the things that they do um they'll often produce that noise if they're threatened or under attack um and apparently they can also which i find quite interesting um they can produce it when they're frustrated <laughs> it's quite it, it, it's sort of interesting that you, you start to when you when you start looking at these social mammals and you start reading around about them you can see all kinds of um responses within them that that you start to associate with with sort of slightly more sophisticated creatures than you might think and you know things like fear and, and frustration and so on can can produce these, these these sort of communications so yeah much more complex social lives than we might think and they're certainly very vocal aren't they they they, they do seem to be talking all the time yeah they can be at times and and you know again that's one of those things with social organisms you you, you find that a lot um yeah, interestingly, actually, even if you're looking at sort of things that aren't mammals, and even if you go down to kind of honeybees and ants, they're always communicating with each other, but they tend to do it with smells, which we can't sort of see. And in fact, we can't even smell them. Um, but those communications are going on all the time. And, and you look up through social groups, you find communications really central to binding things together. So yeah, within the hyenas, you're getting exactly that level of communication going on. And so what do they tend to feed on? We talked about their sort of uh, hunt, but they've got quite a wide diet, don't they? Yeah, um, particularly if we're I mean, if we look across the group, which I think is quite interesting to do, you've, you've got sort of aardwolves uh, concentrating solely on termites, which is not what we associate with them. Um, the striped hyena and the brown hyena will take small prey, um, certainly if they're given the opportunity. But but that's a key word, actually. A hyena are very much opportunistic um, animals. So they'll chew on a dead giraffe if they find it. They'll chew on human remains if they find them there's all sorts of uh records of that about five percent of scat that was analyzed in a study in ethiopia for example had human hair in it and and most of that was thought to have come from digging up human 
remains um, rather than sort of actively predating on us, although we'll come to that shortly, I'm sure. So they are very opportunistic. But yeah, spotted hyena will take down quite large prey. I mean, they'll chase it down and start ripping at the ripping at the underside. So, I mean, a classic way that, that they're going to take down larger animals, I think like wildebeest and antelope and so on, is to um, harry it. A very canine way of attacking, actually, the same way that African wild dogs do. They'll go into the softer areas underneath and, and essentially try and disembowel the animal, which is gruesome, but but effective. <laughs> and, and, and once the sort of guts are hanging out and the animal's down on the floor, they'll start consuming it before it's dead. And, and you see that um, happening with wild dogs as well. There's some quite brutal videos that people have posted on YouTube and various other things of kind of impala falling prey to these sorts of things so they're very effective with that with smaller prey um they'll typically go for the head and neck and that actually includes the way that they would attack us and then you know if they're walking along and see a tortoise they'll have a go at that and you know they're, they're very opportunistic but then of course they're also attracted towards um i guess what we would call carrion but you know reasonably fresh kills they'll be in helping to break down those carcasses and and splitting it up and they've got incredible digestive systems i mean they can basically eat pretty much anything without getting ill they'll eat anthrax infected animals without having any major population problems uh which is a great service they provide you know they can clear up these things they they, they seem to have got a a very robust constitution <laughs> i think would be one way of putting it um a, a gut that can pretty much process anything so yeah they're very very much opportunistic but but formidable predators when they when they when they're doing that we're going to we're going to dive into this, but they, there's also populations of them living, or at least uh, feeding, in and around the sort of big, huge kind of landfill scrap heaps in Ethiopia, and and is that the same sort of stuff? They are they? Uh, I'm just I'm just sort of thinking. Is it naive to think of them like the foxes there? Just yeah, no, I mean they are the urban foxes of those environments. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of. Uh, the, the kind of analog and, and you'll get hyenas around these kind of waste heaps and, and living actually peripherally around human settlements and during the period where they can access it they'll be taking for example slaughterhouse waste they're very um they're very partial to and that's a, a tremendous service actually uh, you know getting rid of some of this waste you can see that uh, people have studied their sort of their scat during this period and and uh, what happens is that they're often feeding on this slaughterhouse waste, so you can you can detect the remains and sort of hair of different animals in there. But during a particular religious festival in Ethiopia, people aren't slaughtering animals, and actually, what happens then? The hyenas switch diet. I think they mostly switch to donkeys, so they're taking uh, preying on domestic livestock, and then they start slaughterhousing. Uh, the slaughterhouses start up again, and then they switch back. So they're very very opportunistic and very able to live and, and that, that's of course a brilliant trait when you want to live around human settlements because we're always changing and offering opportunities for <laughs> if you're able to take them and you know that that has allowed them to do very well in some of those areas and to go back to the, the show which which is a great lesson um w- one of the researchers sort of estimated didn't they that by clearing up all this these kind of anthrax infested corpses they were actually potentially saving a number of sort of human and animal lives yeah it's really interesting i mean they st- they started to put a financial figure on it because of the sort of the savings as well um and then yeah you can put uh you can put some sort of i can't remember the exact number but some sort of number on, on how many lives were saved i think it was five across a year of human lives considerably more livestock and that's been a really interesting theme that's come out of, of this and, and some of the other programs and, and some thinking about it so um i was reading around about cougars for example which is one of the species we might we might cover in a later episode and it's it's been really interesting with them because one of the advantages or one of the benefits to us that they have is that 
they they tend to keep deer numbers down and deer are often a prime cause of road traffic accidents both injuries and, and fatalities and there's been all kinds of estimates as to how many people's lives have been potentially saved by the unseen presence of cougars in the, in in the wilderness around them that have taken out deer that they have then prevented road traffic accidents and stuff and, and it's these kind of hidden advantages of predators i think that are quite interesting because obviously they also produce problems for us um but you know as with everything there's a balance and yeah i think the idea that hyenas are actually providing a a benefit in terms of public health and sanitation that's a really interesting really interesting kind of twist on on why having predators around is a good thing and um you touched on it earlier that they they have these reasonably famous sort of bite power don't they and that's that's actually to to help them they actually eat the bones they don't they don't leave anything Yeah, they they are they are formidably powerful. The jaws they've got massive these carnassial teeth, the kind of big, sort of buttressed teeth all the way down the side, and these huge kind of yeah, they're formidable looking things, and and that allows them to crush up all the bones and everything else. And in fact, when you when you sort of uh, out and about, you'll you'll see hyena kind of poo, and it is um, often very very chalky white, and that's caused by the um, by all the kind of bones and stuff that they're eating so yeah they're pretty they're pretty for yeah which which of course you know they don't need as much as they take in so yeah they're um they're pretty formidable when it comes down to consuming things and and of course providing a great service in terms of the environment because there's lots of animals that can take advantage of a carcass if they could just get into it um and you know hyenas are able to do that so they're these carcass breakers that let everything else sort of have at it really it's quite it's quite i mean it's quite impressive when you see a carcass disappearing <laughs> down the gullets of various things they create opportunities for other scavengers yeah, yeah. to come in things like vultures and, and crows and so on that, that, that are able to kind of peck around but they can't really get into the the, the guts and the marrow if you like and uh yeah i, I we we put a kudu carcass out that, that had, had got entangled with a fence i think um but anyway it was dead and we had camera traps around it and stuff and you see all these kind of animals coming in and you walk back about 24 hours later and it, it's like a, you know, a vertebra and a sort of uh, half a half a leg bone and that's about about all and, and you realize just how formidable these animals are when it comes to just consuming whatever's in front of them and and, and re- recycling and you know, it's nutrient cycling when it comes down to it so they're really they're really really vital for the community so i think disney possibly did them a bit of a disservice in their kind of role yeah, as the evil so. sidekick. <laughs> yeah i think so and it's interesting isn't it to yeah you know, how much of a sort of power does that kind of representation have and i, I think it probably has I think it probably is quite powerful. You know, if your if your impression of, of animals is built up from that type of stereotype, then why are you going to care about conserving hyenas when there's majestic lions to conserve and so on? And and of course, we know that all these things are, are lumped in together, and we need to we need to be looking after all of them. But so yeah, so that that's a, a constant struggle within conservation is, is thinking about how people value certain species and not others, and the idea of charisma and everything else. And yeah, it's an interesting one. Do you know much about how they're perceived locally? Um, just think about yeah, our particularly that's... Western view of them, and now you're just yeah, that's probably. that's interesting. There's been quite a few different um, studies about this, and, it, and a lot of it comes down to how uh, much livestock uh, predation people suffer. So, in actual fact, when predators in general, not just hyenas, are attacking people, that is obviously a bad thing, and hyenas will attack people, and and there's lots of cases of it happening. Um, but it tends to be much more powerful if they're attacking livestock and people's um, livelihoods, partly because it has knock-on effects for lots of other people, partly because those sorts of attacks probably happen more frequently as well. So in some areas, hyenas are, are not 
particularly tolerated. Um, I think there was one study where sort of 83% or something thereabouts of, of, um, of farmers would basically didn't want resources to be put into their conservation but there are other areas where they're tolerated and then some areas where they're there's almost a sense of veneration and they're linked into kind of a spiritual angle partly because they eat because they eat dead um dead things and they will eat corpses human corpses there's this sense of you know that they're, they're a sort of intermediary between different types of of worlds so there's a spiritual angle to it in some areas as well and of course because these species live across quite a wide area um, you know, spotted hyenas distributed across a lot of sort of southern, eastern, and, and, and parts of Africa. You've got the, the striped hyena used to go and still does in some areas, goes up to into Europe. You've got them in in sort of parts of the, the of Russia and up through Turkey and things. So and then across into India. So you've actually got this quite interesting geographical sweep where you've got lots and lots of different cultures and lots of different historical relationships so our relationship with with lots of predators and lots of organisms is complex but with hyenas it's it's particularly complex because of this sort of uh, these different behaviors that they do and the fact that they're they're quite widespread so yeah it's a, it's it's a it's an interesting one our relationship with these animals i think i'd be remiss if we had a conversation about hyenas and we didn't talk about their sex differences, which is pretty remarkable. I mean, I mean, first off, they are matriarchal, and the the, ma- the females are bigger, aren't they, than than the males tend to be? Yeah, which is unusual for mammals. Um, and yeah, they're female. They're female dominated and female led societies. Yeah, which is which is one aspect that's slightly unusual. Of course, that's also accentuated by another unusual biological aspect of the female they're difficult to sex aren't they they are and um, the, the, the females have a pseudo penis so it's almost as big as the males i mean i think i think like 17 versus 19 centimeters or something it's 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 essentially from a distance or even close up the same it's actually their clitoris that's enlarged so it's erectile and it looks you know it looks like a penis and and, and it gets more than more bizarre than that in a way because behind the penis there's actually the 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 labia refused to produce a, a, a fake scrotum uh, which I have on good authority and not something I ever intend to test. The only real way to tell the difference between those two is to is to palpate the scrotum. If um, if it's a male, you can feel the testes, and if it's a female, apparently they just feel a bit sort of like a kind of fatty mound. But um, yeah, I, I, I assume I took it as read that the animal was anaesthetized at that point. <laughs> not <laughs> yeah, something you, I'd want to test. Hope so. But uh, but yeah, so that, and they have these kind of this sort of this this setup. They actually give birth through the clitoris. Painfully, yeah, so, they right? signal with it as well, actually. So the females will, will 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 signal other females and kind of sort of erect it and unerect it and use it as a kind of I don't know like a, a semaphore flag I guess but yeah they also give birth to it which is clearly um, quite uh, tricky operation um, you know, I spoke to Kay Holcamp about that and, and she suggested that yeah it was probably more um, more dangerous to the offspring than to the mother um, some zoo I, I think some captive hyenas struggle a bit but uh, she suggested that's because captive animals are often a little bit out of shape compared to their wild uh, counterparts. But yeah, um, it causes uh, physical injury to them. So you can actually see through binoculars, I believe, if there's sort of a scar uh, that shows that they've given birth, which can be quite useful for biologists, I guess. But yeah, it's um, it's a pretty strange arrangement. And it's 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 you're right when when you look at it you, you kind of assume it i mean I've, i i did the same thing when i first heard that hyenas have pseudo penises i just kind of assumed well you know really and then you see a photo and you're like yeah no fair enough that is <laughs> that is exactly what it says on the tin so yeah they have they have this strange biology and i think again you know we, we touched on it earlier it's one of the things that draws 
and zoologists and biologists to them because they are they are just a little bit different. That's the spotted eye, you know. That's not that's not the case in all of them, but yeah, it's they they've gone out on a out on a wild card there. <laughs> and then, so interestingly, uh, which is also you know part of what the the show focuses on, which is how these I suppose in the modern world predators are coming in you know, ever more ever more often coming in close contact with humans. The spotted hyena in particular, I believe in Ethiopia, is getting, you know, quite close to urban spaces now. Yeah, in part because, of course, we, we have urban expansion. Um, you know, it's a form of habitat change. So we were sort of getting into a, the landscape more. And, of course, the other thing is that we offer opportunities. In the case of hyenas, we offer things like slaughter waste. We've got waste heaps and, and sort of things that generally are on the periphery of of, of urban areas. And, um, and yeah, so we're, we're, we're finding more of this kind of uh, urbanization of predators. It's happening in India as well with leopards. Um, urban leopards are increasing in number um fueled in fact um according to some people by the um the presence of feral dogs which um which they have a particular penchant for um for eating and of course uh you know so there's another potential advantage of having leopards around and that they're taking feral dogs out which can be a source of rabies and other things but um once you know the feral dogs are out and about then um then children and and um smaller adult humans are often um, often on the menu as well so there's a there's, there's a tension there so we we we're finding some you know these examples of predators moving into cities or moving into the outskirts of cities but of course you know that comes with with some costs as well as benefits yeah and and so in the episode about hyenas there was um one scientist in particular was talking about how it's almost become a tourist attraction in one place yeah, um, I mean, you know, people want to see these creatures. Um, that there is a, there, we have a fascination for predators. Um, I, I think I take people down to Southern Africa quite a bit for all kinds of, of different reasons, and and the one thing people want to see, pretty much above everything else, is a, is a lion. That was Adam Hart there talking about hyenas. If you'd like to hear Adam and I dig a little deeper into the world of fierce predators and their relationship with the human world, check out Instant Genius Extra, a bonus podcast available via subscription on Apple's podcast app. Alternatively, do check out Tooth and Claw, which is available on BBC Sounds now. I also know that Adam's working on his own book about our relationships with dangerous predators called Eaton, which will be out soon. Thank you for listening. The Instant Genius podcast is brought to you by the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine, which you can find on sale now in supermarkets and newsagents, as well as on your preferred app store. Alternatively, you can come find us online at sciencefocus.com. See you next time. Thank <music> you.